For years in the NFL, teams bet on tools and lost. Lately, that paradigm has shifted, and the teams who have chased that upside have been rewarded. Jordan Love was that kind of chase for the Green Bay Packers. Is that a risk that's going to pay off for them? Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus returns to Locked On Packers. He was on with us before the Aaron Rodgers trade. A lot has changed since then, so that means we have a lot to talk about on a summer Friday. Let's go. By Watson. You are Locked On Packers. He's got great speed. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Christian Watson down the sideline. Locked On Podcast Network. And he will score. Your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. And this episode of Locked on Packers is brought to you by our friends at eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. It's the same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, and exclusions apply. We have a Summer Friday conversation with Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus here, a wide-ranging conversation. We're going to touch on a lot of different subjects. Uh, We're going to go live. Just a reminder, we're going to go live tomorrow after uh, family night. So this episode is going to be a little bit on the shorter side. We had some technical difficulties Um, Those of you listening will not notice, but those of you watching on YouTube certainly will notice um, some some of the issues just in terms of continuity. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Maybe you won't notice. (laughs) But uh, I had a a producer once tell me there's no such thing as continuity on the internet. So here we are. Let's dive in with Sam. Since the last time we talked to our next next guest, Aaron Rodgers had been traded. There's been an NFL draft. The whole free agency period has taken place that the Packers didn't really take part in, so we don't have to miss or catch up on anything there. Sam Munson, PFF lead NFL analyst and co-host of the PFF NFL show, joins me now once again. And, and Sam, as I mentioned, a lot has changed, um, and, and I know a lot of Packer fans are going to have a close eye on what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. I actually want to close on a little Aaron Rodgers stuff at the end. Let's talk about Jordan Love. Let's go back in time. What was your thoughts on Love pre-draft? Um, didn't love him as a prospect. You know, he's one of a number of guys that have come along in recent years who have been very raw, you know, big tools, big arm, athleticism, uh, capable of making spectacular plays, but didn't necessarily make them all the time, you know, even in college. And that it's always a little bit of a red flag, I think, if you don't have a, a decent body of just consistent, dominant play at a lower level. You're now expecting somebody to be better at a higher level of football. And, but he was also another guy who had the confounding factor of, you know, changing offenses and not coming into the league, coming off his best year. The, the previous season was better than that before everything kind of changed around him. And that adds a layer of difficulty and projections. And then the other confounding factor is 
that group of quarterbacks actually has a pretty good track record in recent years. You know, these toolsy guys have actually turned out better than they had the sort of the previous run of those tools yeah. and type quarterbacks where a lot of those guys were big busts and cautionary tales of why not to draft that kind of player. All of a sudden you have guys like Mahomes come into the league who, you know, all the tools in the world, but like wouldn't stay in the pocket at Texas tech. And the whole thing was like ad libbed. Um, and he turns into the best quarterback in the NFL, Josh Allen, you know, all the tools in the world, not necessarily the greatest quarterback at Wyoming puts it all together at the next level. So generally quarterback predictions remain as difficult as ever for these guys. Um, but my inclination at that time certainly was don't love Jordan love, but at the bottom of the first round, you know, top of the second, that's where you take a guy like that and then see what you can create from him over the next couple of years. Yeah. And I think that was the Packers plan. Let's, let's just right. bet on the traits. Let's bet on the tools. And as you mentioned, that had been a thing that, the Carson Wentz's of the world and, and going back really a decade plus had not worked out. You mentioned some of the names, Justin Herbert, certainly in that draft class, you could add to that list, Anthony Richardson in this draft class, we're going to see what that looks like as well. It seems like we've, we've changed the tide a little bit in the way that even we evaluate quarterbacks. Doesn't it? I mean, tell me a little bit about the PFF process. Cause it does seem like there, there is now this understanding of like, actually it makes sense to bank on this upside because you need one of those truly upside guys has your has your thinking on this evolved over time yeah i mean it's everything right it's the most important position in the game it's the most valuable thing you can get if you find a quarterback on that rookie deal so it's what everybody is trying to unlock the secret of that and and as you say we're, we're, we haven't been good at it forever um so everybody's chasing that and each year is a new season of data to try and piece together and you know, come up with a better way of doing this, or at least move incrementally in that direction. Um, and I, you know, for PFF, that's obviously what we do year on year is sort of look back at the last group of guys that have either done what we thought they would done something different to what we thought they would and try and figure out, you know, reverse engineer, could we have seen this coming, right? Could we really predict these guys coming based off all the data we have? And if so, what are those traits going forward? And I think that's generally what everybody's trying to achieve. But the other thing is the whole landscape changes in in at the same time, right? While we're trying to figure that out, now the, the goalposts are moving because whilst a viable starting quarterback might have been a great result a few years ago, now you're in a league where Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence and Jalen Hurts and, you know, the, it, the list is endless. So if I find like a, the next Kirk Cousins in the first round of the draft, does that even do you any good anymore? Because that guy probably can't knock off three or four of those guys sequentially in the playoffs to win a Super Bowl. So you almost, even if you have a figured out a way of identifying that guy, the goalposts just change and that almost doesn't do you any good anymore. So it's this constant cycle of trying to get better at doing at projecting in the first place. And then the actual projection you need to achieve changing as well. It's, it's a, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Okay, I mentioned the Aaron Rodgers trade and the draft taking place since we last spoke. What what did you make of the Packers draft as we now get a chance to see them in training camp, see them operate here a little bit? Understanding, I'm not expecting you to be like incorporating what we've seen in camp in your evaluations of this. I think that would be a fool's errand anyway. 
Yeah, it was an interesting draft. I like they drafted a lot of times, which I think is good process in and of itself. You know, needing to have impact players in the draft, the best way of achieving that is to take as many swings at bat as you can. Um, I also really like the approach they've taken, which they've done in the past. And I think they do more than a lot of teams of sort of double dipping at certain positions. Like I need a tight end from somewhere. So I'm going to get more than one tight end in the hope that one of them will show up, you know, year one and be able to come in and make an immediate impact, trying to pull all your eggs in one basket of saying, I need this position. I'm going to take one swing. And if we miss, we're in trouble year one. I, I think that's just a worse way of doing it. So I like, I really like that approach for Green Bay. And they kind of did that all the way down this draft, almost every position they they seem to double dip at. Um, so consequently, they they drafted a few players that I, I like a lot um, in that process, some that I like less, but I, I appreciate the process of even um, when they did grab a guy that I, I wasn't as high on as some other people, they came back later on and grabbed somebody that I tended to like a lot more. <laughs> and the kind of, you know, the overall aggregate of it, I, I think, is a, a really good draft and one that has the potential to really help this team a lot right away. A lot more to come here on Locked on Packers with Sam Munson on a summer Friday in just a second. August is here and you know what that means. The official start of fantasy football drafting month. Get championship ready for your home league by trying out best ball on underdog fantasy. All you do is one snake draft. No waivers, no trades. Underdog sets your best lineup every week. Try it out with Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament. Best Ball is taking the fantasy world by absolute storm. Underdog is the place for you. The largest fantasy football contest of all time is back and even bigger. $15 million of total prizes is up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million to the winner. Last year, the winner drafted their team in July. So don't wait around. Visit underdogfantasy.com to find them in the app or find them in the app store and sign up with the promo code Locked On to get your first deposit doubled. Up to $100. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. It is the easiest place to play fantasy football and the best place for best ball. Yeah, I, I had a very similar experience where I was like, okay, I don't I don't love Luke Musgrave where they took him. I understand it, but but love Tucker Craft where right. they took him. I didn't love Jaden Reed where they took him, but love Dontavian Wicks where they took him. And so when you when you're double dipping on day three, they grabbed a bunch of defensive linemen. Um, Carl Brooks was someone I wanted to ask you about because he, in fact, just yesterday popped in, in camp, the pads are on. And, and now we finally get to see these, uh, defensive linemen and trench players. It's a little different perspective. Once we get the pads on what, what did you, what did you guys see from an evaluation standpoint in, in the process? What did you see? And, and how do you think it translates? Because a guy going from a lower level of school there where he was absolutely dominant, you mentioned this, you want to see a guy kick ass if they're coming from right. a lower level school and now he's having to make this jump and change positions all at once. Yeah. Carl Brooks was one of my favorite players in the draft and one of the most difficult evaluations in the entire yeah. draft because he was a legitimate 300 pound edge rusher. Like he wasn't a guy who, you know, was just playing out of position or whatever. He was better playing on the edge than he was playing inside. He had an edge rushers skill set. He just happened to be 300 pounds. Right. And sometimes that happens, right? And usually when it does happen, that guy has physical tools or, or measurables that go, okay, that's why he's really good on the edge. But Carl Brooks then comes along and like tests like a hippo. Like it was one of the worst workouts of anybody ever. So you're like, I, 
I don't know what I do with that. I, on the one hand, we've got this guy whose PFF grading was off the charts, you know, 90 plus grades, insane pressure production, just, you know, one of the best sort of, uh, statistical profiles in the entire league, but you have this immediate red flag of, but he, he's completely like body type is wrong for this. Right. So you've got, if you had nothing other than that information, you'd be like, okay, here's a guy to watch. Um, and then the first thing comes along and goes, yeah, but he's a 300 pound guy doing that. Okay. That's not great. And then you have the next thing to come along, which is, and his measurable stink. So pretty much everything from that point onwards was working against him. Yeah. Um, but you turn on the tape and you're like, it, it just works. I don't know why <laughs> I can't quantify it. It shouldn't be working. And, you know, I have evidence over here that says he's not a viable NFL athlete, like at all. Um, but the tape is speaking for itself and says somehow this guy's going to succeed. Like he finds a way he's got legitimate, um, like technique His he's got an arsenal of tools to play on the edge. Like he wins with a wide variety of moves, not just like being 300 pounds or running through offensive tackles that aren't used to dealing with that. He has a genuinely impressive skill set. So I was really fascinated by this guy. First of all, to sort of go, I don't know what NFL teams do with that. Number one, do you keep them on the edge? Do you move them inside? My assumption was always going to be that an NFL team would move him inside, right? There's just, just no way they're going to live with a 300-pound edge rusher and think that's going to work at the next level. They would default to moving him inside whether or not that's where he belongs um, at the next level. But also, given those negatives and the tape, like where were they going to settle on where to draft this guy? Is that you know a third-round pick? Is that fourth, fifth, like how far down are we going to take this? So just one of the most fascinating players in the entire draft. And I have no trouble whatsoever believing that as soon as pads come on, this guy is going to start jumping out, out of, you know, practices and, and showing that he can play because he was doing all of that at college, despite working against those, you know, measurables and the fact that he was sort of out of position in terms of body type and all those kinds of things. So he's got something to him and those things tend to show up when real football starts getting played. Yeah. And, and he went to the senior bowl and acquitted himself. Well, we actually, we, we talked to Jim Nagy about that and Packers, they had like an all senior bowl draft. They had all these guys right. go through mobile and he was changing positions and faced the better competition and did it. And, and you're like, okay, well, so he can do it. Let's see what it looks like on an NFL field. I'm really excited to see him in preseason. I think, especially when if he's playing in the third and fourth quarters of these games, right? He's gonna he's gonna dump truck some offensive lineman, and it's <laughs> it's gonna just be really fun. And I can't wait to see it. Uh, let's let's talk uh, about Matt Lafleur because I had I had Warren Sharp on yesterday, and we were talking about expectations for this team, and he said, you know, this team can't afford to not be well coached. What is your perception, Sam, of Matt Lafleur? Yeah, I'm not gonna ask you to rank him in the coaches, but what is your perception of him in terms of the quality of the coaching that you think he can provide Jordan Love? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a proven uh, head coach at this point and not just a proven head coach in terms of the the kind of organizational structure and the the kind of GM that that is or the you know the the COO, CEO of an NFL team that that has become these days, but the coaching aspect of being a head coach. And I think we saw that with Aaron Rodgers, that there was a teething um, period where there wasn't that they weren't necessarily on the same page at the all the time. And then they found the, the, they found the answer, right? They found the way of melding 
what Aaron Rodgers is used to, what he's happy doing, what he wants to do going forward, and LaFleur coming over with this, you know, in vogue offense, the the system from Sean McVay, the thing that everybody is trying to run net right now. And one of the things that struck me as interesting, um, you know, I don't know if you've listened to Jordan Rodriguez series yeah. uh, play play callers on on that kind of coaching tree. But one of the defining characteristics, in, in my opinion, is that almost all of those guys have had success now. You know, they haven't just taken a system and some have worked and some haven't. Almost all of them are winning games or doing well. And the common theme is that they're all prepared to change the system to match the players that they have. They're not just saying, you know, we run the West Coast offense and therefore that's what you're going to do. And if you don't do that well in that, oh, okay, we'll find a new guy to do it. You know, like, when the West Coast offense was the was the that dominant system in the NFL, like Michael Vick came into the NFL and was told to run the West Coast offense. Like that's how this kind of thing <laughs> right. ran. But now, you know, you've got Zach Taylor coming over and going, well, Joe Burrow is better doing this. We're going to modify it a little bit. And LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers. And each one of these guys is changing the system according to, to what their um, players do well and what they don't do well. So I think he's already shown the capacity to modify the scheme and to tailor it to the skill set of the players that he has in the building, which is huge because now that skill set is different, right? It's Jordan Love. It's not Aaron Rodgers. And they're going to have to do a, a, a certain degree of overhaul on the offense. Um, and we've already seen his ability to do that. So I think he's a good coach, not just uh, across the board, but particularly for Jordan Love in year one, because we know he's prepared to move the goalpost to to accommodate a guy who might not be, you know, as good as other quarterbacks within that system as it stands. All right, we're going to finish up here with some predictions and some expectations setting here with Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus in just a second on Locked On Packers. Thanks for everyone who makes Locked On Packers their first listen every day, every dayers. We are live tomorrow on our YouTube page. Those of you who do not watch us over on our Locked On Packers YouTube page, why not? You can go subscribe over there. But also, if you're an audio-only person, totally fine. That show will be in your feed on Monday. And Locked On Sports today is a place where I would love for you to come hang out with us. We have a Leap newsletter also, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. So a ton of places you can come hang out. And our subtext. Subtext is a great new feature where I can text directly with you. We're going to talk. We're going to chat. I'm going to send exclusive content to our subtext feed. So go check out our subtext if you want the opportunity to just just chat with me and get exclusive content from me there as well. How would you set reasonable expectations for Jordan Love in year one? Like, what what do you think is a reasonable high end outcome? What do you think is a reasonable low end outcome for him in this in this offense, given all the parameters that we, that we've set here? I he's in a tough spot because. Normally, I would work on the basis that reasonable expectations for a first-round quarterback of any capacity is the viability year one. Just simply give me an indication that you can be the guy in the future and that it doesn't like actively make us the laughingstock of the league to have you as a starter right now. You know what I mean? Like That's what the Colts are working on with Anthony Richardson, right? It's, it's, it's a two-fold approach. Number one, Prove to us that you can be the guy next year so that we come out of this season not going, well, that was a mistake. We got to blow the whole thing up again. And number two, let's just not be embarrassed by you starting for 17 games. Like those are literally the only two things he needs to show um, in year one. 
I would say that's a reasonable expectation for any first round quarterback, except Jordan Love has now been sitting there for a while and right. doesn't necessarily have the time to have the expectations that low. Like he not not only needs to show that he's viable and that there's a future there, but he needs to show it's kind of now because you're almost immediately going to have to pay the guy serious quarterback money. So I think for him, he needs to do better than that. Even if it's kind of unfair ask, he basically needs to earn, you know, a starting quarterback's kind of salary, which now we're talking is $40 million a year or something approaching that right out of the gate. And that's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a reasonable expectation. Like, let's be honest, that's, that's an unreasonable thing to ask any quarterback to do, but it probably is the reality for Jordan Love. Yeah, and, and the Packers tried to soften that a little bit by rather than giving him the fifth-year option, right. actually giving him a contract that, that ensured that fifth year, moved some money around, all that stuff. When, when we talk about the surrounding part of this, and this has been, you know, discussed a lot with Justin Fields and, and Jalen Hurts and a lot of these young quarterbacks. Let's get him the, the guys around him that can make him look a little bit better. Well, this is going to be the youngest pass catching battery of the last 25 years, save for the 0-16 Browns. Right. What do you think about that? Number one is an approach. And number two, like let's do the same sort of exercise. Like, what is a reasonable outcome for this group? Can we expect them to actually have a not just not just viability, but like a decent to good passing offense. Yeah, I think it's risky. Um, I, I don't, it's not as bad potentially as just though the sort of statement, you know, laying it out on paper makes it seem right. But it, when you look at the players that they have and the approach that they've taken, you know, they, they did that, they've done that double dipping approach multiple times now. And, you know, Christian Watson came on towards the, at the end of last season and we saw what he's capable of doing. I've said this all off season. I don't think the Romeo Dobbs hype from a year ago was entirely a fabrication. Like it wasn't, oh, look at this guy. He's a, just a training camp superstar. And then as soon as the real game started, eh, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe we got out of, you know, maybe we let ourselves get a little bit too carried away there. And he's not really more than a, you know, a mid round pick. I think there's something there. Like Romeo Dobbs can be a player at this level. It's just the, the hype went from, you know, training camp superstar to, oh, he's going to be the number one guy now. Like he's going right. to be the Devonte Adams in this offense. Forget Christian Watson. Dobbs is going to be the dude. There's a middle ground there. And I think he can get to that middle ground of being like a really useful number two receiver for this offense. And then you have that double dipping at tight end to try and make sure one of those guys can be something year one. What I'm saying is I think there's a reasonable collection of talent here um, to be assembled that can make you know, can be a, a good receiving core for Jordan Love to work with. It's just that when you put it all together and, and look at the kind of average age or just the how much youth is involved, it is crazy and virtually unprecedented. But I don't think it's quite as um, cavalier or careless as just going and grabbing a bunch of 22-year-old guys and saying, well, this is what we're working from. Good luck. <laughs> I think you know it is a little bit more calculated and designed than that and theoretically a little better than that suggests it is. All right, last one here. If you could pick one guy that the Packers drafted the last two years, so let's say the 2023 draft and the 2022 draft, and say, okay, I'm just going to wave my magic wand, and this guy is going to really pop for this team, and that, and because of that, he will have the biggest impact on this team. So which of these, like year one, year two guys, if they're good, 
most improves this team to your mind? I guess it would have to be Christian Watson in terms of the impact that he can have. Um, what I think might help them the most sort of long-term would be like if Zach Tom ends up becoming not just a good player, but his own in his own right, but potentially a, a David Bakhtiari heir down the line. Like yeah. Zach Tom was a guy who had incredibly good uh, production in college. You know, PFF grades were excellent. Uh, and then slipped, obviously, in the draft because of measurables, because of all those kinds of things. But look, year one, like he could step in and be a good starting left tackle. Like if you're able to stumble on one of those guys in the mid rounds, it's huge. It's it's incredibly valuable. So if they were able to get that out of Zach Tom going forward, that could have a massive impact on this team. But obviously, right now, given the Jordan Love situation, given where they are with no Devonte Adams, like they don't need anything as much as they need somebody to emerge as a real, like viable number one elite receiver. Well, we will see what happens with all those things in the coming weeks, in the coming months. I know you will have your eye on all that, Sam. I appreciate the time, man. No problem. Anytime. All right. Thanks to Sam for joining the show. Great to talk with him. And we're going to be live tomorrow. Family night is here. There's going to be 70,000 people at Lambeau Field for a practice. We're talking about practice, not a game. And I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to dig into football with, with uh, the Hall of Fame game last night. Not that it was a great game. It wasn't. The, the Browns and Jets combined to play precisely no one of consequence. But football's back, baby. Football is back. So follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to come hang out with us live, like we will be tomorrow night, you can do that over on our YouTube page today. Locked on Packers.